Amen. Well, I was standing in the back before our service started and a sweet young lady came up to me and said, hey, how long is this Wild Become the Church series going to last? And I said, are you like bored of it already or what? Just messing with her a little bit. She goes, oh no, I just was curious. And uh, so I told her I've got a few more things that are on my heart to share with you before we kind of kick off a new book study this fall. And I appreciate you praying uh, with me about that. I'm leaning towards the book of Philippians. It's a book I've always wanted to teach and I thought it might be a good encouragement for us this fall to go through uh, the book of Philippians together, but um, that's just where I'm at today. I might change my mind tomorrow, you know? So uh, just pray that God would give me wisdom and direction as far as what would be the best book for us uh, as a church uh, for such a time as this. But this morning, I want to continue in this little series, Why We Come to Church, and we've considered four out of the six things that God's people should do whenever uh, they gather together to worship. We talked uh, about singing and praying and observing the ordinances and serving. I wish I had taken a little more time uh, to talk about serving, but I I hope that you got that uh, at the end last week, the importance of uh, coming to church, not just to worship, but to work. And when you're working, you're actually worshiping. In fact, I uh, passed by the faithful couple who uh, collects the money from the offering boxes uh, every Sunday and then goes into the office center and counts it up. And uh, I walked in and uh, the gal said to me, we're worshiping. And I said, exactly. Uh, because that was their little task, their little job, their little ministry that they've been faithfully doing for years. And, and they saw it as this is our act of worship. We're helping the church. This is a small part that we play, but it's a significant task. Somebody needs to do that. And so I hope that you come to church thinking about, okay, what is my job? What is my role? There's no unnecessary nose on a body, I don't think you ever thought your nose was unnecessary. There's never been an unnecessary elbow or big toe, right? We all, every part of our body plays a significant role in how our body functions. And so there's no wasted parts. Uh, And so don't ever think that you're somehow wasted. No, you have a specific role to play. And if you haven't found it yet, let us know. And we'll help get you plugged in uh, to a place where you can serve, but we, we want every one of you to come and uh, be a part of the service of, of the church. But again, that's just one of several things we're talking about, these simple, sacred activities that please God, that bless us, and that should convict those who don't know him who come and fellowship or are a part of this body with us. Well, today I want to talk about the significant role that giving plays in the corporate worship of the body of Christ. And I want to start this morning by just providing those of you who are newer to the church just a a, a quick uh, history lesson of Lakeside Bible Church. Um, I feel so blessed to have been a part of this church from the very beginning, uh, before it was even a church, Um, just meeting together with... um, a group of godly, like-minded men who God gave a burden to plant a new church in the Lake Conroe area. And this church would not be in existence today were it not for this group of men who understood the responsibility of God's people supporting his church with their financial resources. It was exactly 17 years ago this month August, back in 1999, that this group of 20 men or so, representing some 20 families, invited me to meet with them to discuss planning a new church in the Lake Conroe area. And they, so we sat there in, in this uh, living room, and uh, they shared their plans with me, and they asked me to consider serving as their pastor. And they told me how much they were prepared to pay me based on an earlier meeting where they'd passed around a hat into which each of them had dropped a a small piece of paper with an anonymous sum of money that they were committed to contributing to the church during its first year. And I was not only humbled by the generosity of these men, but I was also inspired to join 
with them in this godly venture because of the financial commitment that they showed towards the church of Jesus Christ. I know of nothing that reveals a person's heart better than their checkbook. If we were all to pull out our checkbook, which fewer and fewer of us have these days, right? Um, but you were to look where we spend our money, that's the best gauge of our priorities in life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. And so that was, for me, a window into these men's hearts, that they were committed to generously and sacrificially give to the work of the Lord and to contribute um, to the work of the church. I'll never forget at one of our initial organizational meetings, one of these men suggested that we not pass offering plates during our services as we were kind of getting a feel of what we were going to be like, what we were going to look like and sound like as a church. One of the suggestions was, hey, let's not pass offering plates, but let's just put a box in the back of the room for people to give. And so we all talked about this and decided that it was a good idea since Jesus said that what you give is between you and the Lord and no one else should know what you give or even that you give. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. That little box holds a special place in my heart. Uh, we still have that thing kicking around somewhere here and uh, it uh, gets pulled out uh, from time to time. Uh, whenever we take a special love offering or there's some urgent benevolent need, we may use that box to take a, a quick collection, but that was the box that we would put in a back table very discreetly uh, at Montgomery Elementary School where we first met and at the KOA campground where we met for a few years after that. And um, when we were able to actually build a building, we actually put some permanent boxes in the original worship center, and now we have them, a couple out in the foyer and one over here in our, in our um, lounge area. But uh, not long after the church started, we began to look for some property to build on, and a man who was newer to the church took me out to lunch and told me how excited he was to be a part of this new church, and he shocked me by telling me at lunch that he wanted to give $200,000 to help purchase a piece of land. And I was like, you said what? And uh, at the same time, a couple of other men found this particular property that we're on today and suggested that we buy it. And since it was being sold for a reasonable price, it was smack dab in the middle of all the growth that was coming to this era. They felt like it was a wise acquisition. Well, the original two elders and I went away on a little, our first ever elders retreat um, and decided that it would, be, it would be a better investment in the growth of our church to not purchase a piece of property right away, but to hire another pastor first, which didn't set well with these two businessmen. Well, in fact, when we initially passed on purchasing this property, one of these men looked at me right straight in the eyes and said, Ken, that was a foolish decision. And you will never get this property for that price ever again, if ever again, because this is going to sell really fast. Well, and of course, I'm thinking, what do I know? You know, I'm a young pastor. I don't have any financial background. This is a, you know, a CFO kind of guy from a large corporation in Houston telling me this, and I'm going, oh, great, what did I do? Well, we hired Chris Steyer. Remember that guy? And he served as our music and student pastor, and uh, several months after we hired Chris, the owner of this property came back to us and said he was needing some tax relief and asked if we were still interested in purchasing this property, and he offered to sell it to us for half the price. 
And by that time, God had provided enough money for us to buy twice as many acres as we originally planned to buy, to buy with cash. And it was such a, a blessing. As we began to make plans for a three-phase building project, God led us to take a debt-free approach, which meant we weren't going to get a loan from a bank. We weren't going to have a mortgage. We felt we wanted to stay uh, as, as fluid as possible and not have that fifteen dollars to $20,000 payment every month that so many churches have to bear that burden and it really limits what they can do with their staff and what they can do with ministry and what they can do with missions. And so we said, you know, we want to just commit here to a debt-free approach. And we just looked at God's word and we saw God throughout his word providing for his work through the generous, joyful, sacrificial giving of his people. And we were inspired by the nation of Israel when they were asked to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. Um, and even as we read to, uh, of the temple, uh, they gave so joyfully and generously they had to be told to stop giving. Hey, stop, we have enough. Quit it already. Why couldn't God do the same thing with, with us? Our motto was, God's work done God's way will never lack God's provision. And so we encourage everyone to begin giving above and beyond their normal weekly giving. And as soon as we had enough money, we would break ground. And so after we raised about half the money we needed uh, to build uh, that first phase over there, uh, we decided to go ahead and break ground and trust God to provide the remaining money before the building was completed. In fact, we actually put a sign out front, as you see in most construction sites, there's a sign out there, this project funded by Bank of America or Amy G. Bank or, or Wood Forest, you got to throw Wood Forest in there, right? Wood Forest Bank, you typically see that, it's very common, right? Or some constructions, who, what the construction company is that's building. Well, we put a sign out there that said, this project funded by God through the sacrificial giving of his people. And we thought this would be maybe a, 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 something that would catch people's eyes as they drive by, they're like, what did that just say? Something you don't normally see out in front of a church, right? Well, the, when the first phase of construction was nearing completion, we still needed to raise about $250,000. And we were at a critical point where we had to make a decision where we were either going to stop construction and wait what could have been months, even years, uh, to raise that kind of money with the number of people that we had at the church at the time. It was a lot smaller group. Well, in the providence of God, the builder was a member of our church, and he told us that he wanted to finish the project for us and that we could pay him back over time without any interest. And uh, what a blessing it was to be able to continue um, that project and then to be able to pay him uh, what we owed him very shortly after the work was done. More of you are aware of this second phase that we just moved into about a year and a half ago. It was a five-year pay-as-you-go project that required a lot of faith and a lot of perseverance and a lot of patience and a lot of continued giving above and beyond our normal giving. But by the grace of God, here we stand, here we sit this morning after two major building programs totaling over $2 million. We not only have no debt, but we have money in the bank all to the glory of God. God's been very good to Lakeside Bible Church. And so from day one, even though we've deliberately chosen to take a, a low-key approach to giving and to not talk a lot about money, God has faithfully provided for his work, again, above and beyond what our needs have always been through the generous, joyful, sacrificial giving of people like you. Um, However, since we don't pass around offering plates, uh, in fact, people, I've had people come to me and say, hey, where do I give around here? Have you after church, like they got a check in their hand, like, where do I give? And I'm like, don't give it to me. I said, see that box over there? Drop it in there. I like that, that you have to like really work hard at like finding how to, how to contribute to the work of the Lord here at Lakeside Bible Church. Um, but, but because we don't pass offerings, they're not pass it under your nose every Sunday. Um, and we don't talk a whole lot. We don't mention money very often. It's, it would be very easy for us to forget that bringing a financial offering or gift before the Lord is an important part of our worship on Sunday mornings. 
After all, giving is first and foremost an act of worship. Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. And so we see in the Old Testament that ever since God established the the kind of worship that he desired from his redeemed people, it included bringing all sorts of tithes and, and offerings to him, and not just any tithes and offerings, but the very best and the very first that we have to offer. There's many mentions in the Old Testament about bringing the first fruits, right? Before you even, even you got a harvest out there, before you, you know, take your first apple and bite into it, you need to bring to harvest the first bit and give it to the Lord. It's an offering unto him. It's a way of saying, thank you, God, for blessing this year's crop. And then you can go harvest the rest for yourself, for your family, and to sell to make a living. We, there's many places in the Old Testament that talk about not bringing an unblemished lamb before the Lord. Your, your sacrifice, your offering, your animal sacrifice, your animal offering needed to be perfect, not deformed, not the, the runt. It'd be easy to say, well, you know what? That's a really nice fat lamb. I want to save that for, you know, dinner next Friday night. But that little runt there, he's, you know, he's, he's got all gamey and stuff. Let's give that to the Lord. No, God wanted the very best. And God, in fact, rebuked his people when they failed to give him what he required of them. At the same time, however, he challenged them to trust him, to bless them when they committed to give generous and sacrificial offerings. Matthew, or excuse me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God asked the question, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. As we move into the New Testament... We see how Paul likened our financial gifts to the sacrifices offered in the Old Testament. Uh, None of you, I I didn't see any of you guys uh, leading a a goat or a sheep in here this morning. Uh, I didn't see anybody pull out a pigeon from their purse, um, you know, like we would bring. I didn't see anybody bringing in a bushel of, uh, you know, zucchini from their garden, right? We, we, We don't bring those kinds of offerings anymore. Uh, This has been translated now into financial gifts. But Paul likened these financial gifts to the sacrifices of uh, of fruit and and even uh, of animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. And he also promised that God will be faithful to provide for those who contribute generously and sacrificially to his work. Philippians chapter four, verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received what you have sent. In other words, the church in Philippi had had contributed to the ministry of of the apostle Paul and he was thanking them for supplying them, supplying him so generously, so abundantly, And he says, what you have sent is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. It was a picture of, all they gave was maybe an envelope of cash, if you will. But he said in in God's eyes, it was like a a, a pleasing aroma, just like that, that burnt sacrifice in the Old Testament. And then he went on to say this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, I know you have given to me sacrificially. You have have gone without so that I could have what I needed. But you know what? I know that my God is going to pay you back, if you will. He's going to provide for you. He's going to meet your needs in a way that is above and beyond what you could imagine according to his riches and glory in Christ. Now, based on what we see in the Old Testament... Most Christians, I think, assume that God requires us to give 10% of our income back to him. However, listen carefully, the practice of tithing, as it's called, giving of a tenth, 10%, as a permanent principle that's binding on all Christians today is not taught in the scriptures. 
That, caught, that woke some of you guys up. To some, that may sound radical, maybe even unbiblical, but let me just explain quickly what I mean by this. The concept of tithing is taught in the Old Testament. Um, and, and we really have to look at giving under three headings, giving before the law, giving under the law, and then giving after the law. Uh, giving before the law, uh, you look at back in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Genesis, before uh, God met the people of Israel at the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai when he gave them the law. Um, before that ever happened, men acknowledged God's ownership of their lives and property by giving a tenth of everything they owned. Abraham, for example, felt so indebted to God for all that he had done for him and how he had protected him and for the opportunity to meet Melchizedek, this, this amazing high priest um, who was potentially a, a, a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ, uh, that, that Abraham joyfully and gratefully gave a tenth of all the spoils of, his, of the battles that he had. Abraham's tithe was a free voluntary act that was motivated from a glad, grateful heart, not by any divine command. He just wanted to give it. Jacob, in the same way, asked God to provide him with clothing and food and, and safe passage, and he promised God that if he did that, that he would give a tenth of everything he had back to him. So that was giving before the law. Now, how about giving under the law? When God gave the law to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, he required each of them to tithe. But he actually required far more than 10% from the nation of Israel. There were, there were multiple. You do, do some research and look at all the different places in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, that talk about the tithes. There were multiple mandatory giving requirements like the Levites' tithes. They needed to support the, the Levites, the tribe of Levites, because they served as the priests uh, for the nation of Israel. There was a festival tithe. They needed to uh, contribute to the, the, the annual festivals. There was a poor tithe. They needed to give some money to help those less fortunate they were, uh, which all told was about 23 to 25% that the Israelites had to give on an annual basis. So this whole 10% is really a misnomer. It was far more than that. It was double that. And these tithes were not... An offering in the strict sense of the term, but an obligation placed on everyone by law. They really were nothing more than taxes that were used to fund the national government. And it just so happened it was a theocracy. And God was uh, the, the, the president, if you will, or the king. Under the Mosaic law, God also expected the Israelites to give voluntarily to him above and beyond these mandatory 23 to 25% tithe taxes that they were to give. They were to give first fruits. They were to give free will offerings. And so they were to be very generous and sacrificial in their giving. Now, how about giving after the law? When you get to the New Testament, we see really an exact parallel to the Old Testament teaching on giving. Uh, there, are, there are basically two kinds of giving. There's mandatory giving and there's voluntary giving. That's exactly what was happening in the Old Testament. Our modern day tax system is a parallel of the Old Testament tithe system in that we're required to pay taxes to the government for the services they provide for us. Romans chapter 13 talks about that, giving honor to whom honor is due. And Jesus himself encouraged his disciples to pay their taxes. Jesus also mentioned the word tithe, but it was in reference to the legalism of the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, Luke chapter 18. The only other time... The word tithe is mentioned in the New Testament is in Hebrews 7 where the writer was just reminding the readers, uh, his readers of when Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek, Melchizedek that I already mentioned. But beyond these three references, th there is no mention about the necessity of Christians paying a tithe, giving 10% of their income. And yet for decades, churches and pastors have sought to obligate their people to tithe 10%, and if they're not tithing 10%, then they're disobedient to the scriptures. They're in sin. Well, I think this has resulted in many believers giving legalistically rather than willingly and voluntarily and joyfully the way God intended. And I saw that because I think we need to understand today that giving for the believer in Christ, that's you and me, is not based on legal obligation, but on grace, on grace. 
there's a difference between tithing and what you could call grace giving. Grace giving. We're no longer under the law, Romans 6.14, and as a result, we're no longer under obligation to tithe, which is not to say that giving 10% is unnecessary or a bad practice. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Some of you might be thinking right now, if man, pastor, you're really shooting yourself in the foot here, um, telling us we don't have to tithe. You think the giving's gone down, it's going to go down more. Well, if you're sitting there thinking, well, sweet, this is good news. I can cut back on my giving. Or, man, now I don't feel so guilty about how little I'm giving. Well, then you're missing the whole point. Because realizing that we're no longer under legal obligation to give a certain amount of money to God shouldn't make us want to give less. It should want to make us give what? More. God hasn't lowered the standard in the New Testament, but he's raised it. Grace giving provides a a much higher standard than tithing. Our gratitude as God's people this side of the cross should be far greater and therefore our giving should be far greater. And you just have to look at the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. It was obvious that being out from under the law and living under grace didn't mean Christians would give less but more. Because when the church launched in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people got saved. They were from all over the known world at the time, and they didn't want to go anywhere. They wanted to stay put and be a part of this, this, this new movement of God. And so you had a bunch of homeless, jobless people. And so what did the church do? They began to give generously and sell their property and bring their food, and, 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 and it was just, they, they were, they were um, just overwhelming in their, in their generosity to support one another in the early church. I think the best example of grace giving, as we call it, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And I want to invite you to turn there with me. And this is a, a passage of scripture that we're familiar with as a church. But I think we, we all, all could all use a, a good reminder me this morning, because these two chapters contain the, the most concentrated section of principles on giving in the entire Bible. And uh, what we see here are 12 principles for biblical giving that will instruct and inspire us to be generous, joyful, sacrificial givers. And I've listed those 12 principles there in your notes um, in front of you, so you don't have to try to write them all down. But let me just give you quickly the historical background of this, of this passage. Um, one of the great projects that God used the Apostle Paul to accomplish during his third missionary journey was to collect an a, a offering for the persecuted, famine-stricken saints in, in Jerusalem. And as he traveled around from church to church, these churches that he had planted, Paul asked the believers to contribute something to help their impoverished brothers and sisters in Christ who were suffering in Jerusalem. And so he, when, he, when he visited the local churches in the region of Macedonia, he was absolutely blown away that in spite of their own poverty, they gave more generously, more joyously, and more sacrificially than anyone he had ever seen. And so Paul uses their example here in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 to instruct and inspire the church in Corinth to give to the collection for the Jerusalem church. And Paul had already mentioned this collection in a previous letter that he had written to them. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 really quickly because this is where this really all begins. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. So he's just saying, hey, I I just want to remind you of this collection that I'm taking for the saints in Jerusalem. I'm going to direct you the same way I've directed the churches in Galatia. Here's the direction, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. 
Again, this was a, a good reminder that the early church gathered together on the first day of the week, Sunday, for instruction, for fellowship, for prayer, and a meal followed by the Lord's Supper. We learned that last week, Acts 2.42. And so Paul commanded the members of the church in Corinth to set aside a certain amount of money and bring it to church with them every Sunday. And so really, this is the first principle of giving, and that is to give regularly, to give regularly. And I think every one of us in the church who has a source of income should be in the habit of giving regularly to support the Lord's work. That's everybody. That's, that's adults, that's teenagers, that's even children. Um, I was personally... Um, Surprised, shocked, maybe even uh, saddened. Not sure how to how to respond to this information. But we have a. Uh, I don't. I don't know, really know anything about the giving that goes on in this church. I don't want to know who gives, what they give. I, I stay completely out of that. But I get reports from a, a wise, godly group of people that are responsible for watching our finances and managing our finances. And I'm so grateful for these. These people, we're in good hands. The Lord has raised up some really, a really wonderful financial team um, to, to, to manage the resources here at Lakeside. And so uh, I was given the statistic a few weeks back that on, one, on a particular Sunday, two, two Sundays, I guess, back to back, that there were uh, between 25 and 30 gifts that were given. I don't know the amount. I don't know who gave them. It was just that there was 25 to 30 gifts that were given in the offering that Sunday. And I thought, my first thought was, well, if you look at our directory, we have about 180 families um, that we shepherd, that we oversee uh, here at Lakeside Bible Church. And I thought to myself, 180 families and only 25 or 30 put something in the offering? On Sunday? Maybe it's not that we have to encourage those who are giving to give more. Maybe it's that we have some non givers that need to be encouraged to start giving. And again, I have no idea looking out across this congregation who gives, who doesn't give, how much they give. I have no clue. But I know one thing the Bible says that all of us who have a source of income should be in the habit of giving regularly to support the Lord's work. In fact, we tried to teach our kids when they were little this principle. And so we had, we gave them each three baby jar, baby food jars. They even have those anymore, baby food jars? So anyway, we got these three baby food jars and we put, labeled each one of them, spend, save, and give. And we had them on their little nightstands, their little dressers. And so every Sunday, we would give them three quarters and they had to go run into the room and they would put one in the spend jar, one in the save jar and then they would never, there was nothing ever in the give jar because they'd take it, put it in their pocket and run to church and put it in the offering. Uh, just again, to encourage them, get them into the habit that when you come to church, you should be thinking, I got, I got, I got my Bible, um, I got, my, I got my, my whatever, my lessons if I'm gonna be teaching and I've got my check, or I've got my offering. When you walk out the door, right, your checklist, what do I got? I know a guy who, who I've never seen the check itself. I've just seen the top of the check, but he comes with his Bible and, and his Sunday school notes and, and his check sticking out of the top of his Bible. Walks into church every Sunday, and that's just, that's just what he does. Why? Because that's, that's what we do when we come to church. We, we come to worship, we come to give, we come to serve. Um, he's ready, he's equipped to, to give. Now, typically, people give to church based on when they get paid, whether it's weekly or twice a month or once every month, however that works. Um, and again, I don't want to become legalistic and say that, um, oh, you have to have something every week. Well, the scripture said that was the habit of the early church, to bring something every week. So potentially what you could think of is, is hey, whatever you know you're going to be giving that month, break it up into four Sundays. 
and write four separate checks or, or bring in you know, four different amounts every Sunday instead of one big lump thing at the beginning of the month or however you do it, but maybe bring something every, every week. Why? Because it's an act of worship. It's, just, it's like singing. It's like praying. It's like, it's like listening to God's word preached. It's like putting something in the offering. It, it's a vital part of our, our weekly worship. I mean, just, and, and again, maybe... I'm convicted about this. I was convicted as I was studying this that, you know, I just, maybe just going through the motions. We talk about going through the motions when you sing, you know, just mouthing words that you don't really mean. Your, your lips are moving, but your heart's far away from the Lord. Well, listen, how many times do I walk by the offering box and slip a check in the top slot there and just walk, kept right on going and, and didn't even think about what I was doing? Instead of walking by and, and just even a simple prayer in my, in my mind, in my heart, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being so generous to me. Thanks for being so generous to us as a family that we could give back to you. There's just something that goes on mentally in our, in our hearts and our minds. Um, again, giving is, is just as much an act of worship as everything else we do. And we've wrestled with the online giving decision, right? That's very popular today. Say, so many of us don't even have checkbooks. Everybody does their ba- banking online. And why can't we just do that and go to the church's website and click online giving? And there's nothing wrong with that, and we just haven't got over that hurdle yet as elders thinking, you know, this is such an important act of worship on Sunday morning. This is part of the corporate worship that when you come, you, you give to the Lord, and we don't, we don't want to rob people of that experience. Now, granted, you could sit there in the quietness of your own home and click your mouse, and it could be an act of worship, and you can say, thank you, Jesus, when you do that. We get that. But then we're just there, and we've been asked that question, well, why don't you go, you know, why can't I just, where's the credit card machine? Whip it out, start slipping, where's my debit card, right? You know, um, hey, we're, we're working on all that, but we're, we're still trying to work through how does that fit with what we see in the scriptures. The point is we should never come before the Lord empty-handed. That's the point. Well, notice he goes on. He says, verse 3, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So he's preparing them for this, this offering. Now jump back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now he's revisiting this subject with them, and notice he says in chapter 8, verse 1, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was the northern a province of Greece. It was the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And uh, here was Paul reminding them of or wanting them to know just what happened um, when he went to the church of Macedonia. Well, the, the problem is, by the way, Paul had already mentioned this to them and, and they had already um, made a commitment to give joyfully a generous amount of money, they, they were a larger church and they were a more affluent church and they could easily contribute the church in Corinth. But false teachers had infiltrated the church in Corinth and undermined Paul's ministry and spread rumors that this guy was in it for the money. He's trying to rip you guys off. He's a huckster. He's just trying to pat his own pockets. And so apparently this had sidetracked the Corinthians from following through on their original intent to give a substantial offering. And so Paul sent Titus to deliver a severe letter, we're not sure exactly what, whether that's this letter or another letter, um, but he was also there to encourage them to follow through on the collection that they had promised. Now Paul was writing to them, and again, and encouraging them to finish the collection and have it ready for them, ready for him when he came. And so he used the example of the Macedonian churches to motivate the Corinthians church to give in like Manner And again, Paul, these churches, the churches in Macedonia, gave unlike anyone Paul had ever seen. And the question is, what motivated them to give in such an exemplary way? Well, Paul says three times it was the grace of God. Verse 1, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the church of Macedonia. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being uh, a supply for your need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. The idea there is, 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 is God's graciousness. Verse 14, um, well, chapter, two, uh, chapter 9 of verse 14 is what I was looking at. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. By the way, this is where we get the term grace giving. Three times 
in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he mentions this, this, this is all the result of the grace of God. And so this is the model that we should follow in our giving. This is how we should give. We should give regularly. We've already seen that in 1 Corinthians 16. But secondly, we should give generously. Generously. Notice he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. These people were extremely poor. And yet, rather than becoming beggars, they, they were not begging for money here. They were begging to give money. They faced these insurmountable financial difficulties that, that should have discouraged them from even thinking about giving. And they could have made all the excuses, well, you know, better hold on to the little that we have. We, we don't know what the future holds. I can't give right now. Things are just too tight. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to give more later. They didn't make any of those excuses. They, they understood that giving is not a matter of what you have, but a matter of the heart. I've counseled people over the years who, who have come and said, man, we're just in a, in a pickle financially and, and we don't know what to do and we can't even pay our bills. And, and, and I say, and my very first question is, are you giving anything to the Lord? And their natural response is, well, we can't afford to. I said, well, I want to challenge you to put the Lord to the test. And, and maybe, maybe you just start with $5. Can, can you, can, you have a $5 bill that you can set aside this week that you bring to church and, and put in that offering box. $5. I don't need the $5. God doesn't need the $5. But they need to give the $5. Right? To, to, to be faithful and obedient and to, 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 to have that be an act of worship. They're missing out on that act of worship, that part of the corporate worship of the body. And oftentimes when people get, begin to be faithful to give, even if it's like a buck, the point is they're becoming obedient, they're becoming faithful, and so oftentimes God will correct their finances in time because they got their priorities straight. And so even though these people hardly had anything to live on, they had extremely generous hearts. It says a wealth of liberality. They were, they were just extremely generous and they were single-minded in their devotion. So they gave generously, they gave sacrificially. Notice what it says in, 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 at the end of chapter 3, for I testify that, they, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they, they pushed giving past the point where the figures didn't add up. The bottom line said they couldn't or they shouldn't give. It, it maybe appeared unreasonable. And this is so untypical, right, for us American Christians. We give out of what we have left over. After spending lavishly on ourselves, rarely do we give in a way that would necessitate a reduced standard of living. I love David's example in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, he wanted to buy a threshing floor to build an altar to worship the Lord, and, and, and the man he was going to buy it from loved David and wanted to honor the king. He said, oh, no, you can just have it. And he said, no, 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 I want to pay full price because he said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me what? Nothing. I'm not looking for the easy way out. And so they gave sacrificially. They also gave voluntarily. Notice, notice what it says here at the end of verse 3. They gave of their own accord. Paul didn't have to manipulate them or intimidate them to give. They gave voluntarily of their own accord. He didn't have to bribe them or pressure them. On the other hand, they pressured him. They pleaded with him to let them give to the Relief Project. They didn't see giving as an obligation but as a privilege. No, nobody had to twist their arm to give. They wanted to give. Is this a, again, heart check here. Is this, you know, you, you get the checkbook out if you can still use one of those, right? And, and, and is this a, oh, I gotta write this check. It's like writing your mortgage check. Who likes to write their mortgage check? Nobody likes to write their mortgage check, right? It's a have-to check. Or is this like a, I get to write this check to buy this cool gift for my kid or for my wife or my husband, right? It, it's, a, it's a want to, it's not a have to. Hopefully that's the heart you have when you write your offering check is, is that you want to. It's a want to check. And so they gave voluntarily. They also gave sequentially. Sequentially, you say, what does that mean? Well, look at verse five. And this not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 
In other words, they understood the proper order for giving to the Lord. They, they gave themselves to the Lord first, and then they gave their money. They did what Paul commanded in Romans 12, 1, to, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a what? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship and service. Listen, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you. In fact, if he doesn't have you, he's not the least bit interested in your money. Giving money does not earn anybody favor with God. It doesn't buy you a ticket to heaven. You can be the world's greatest philanthropist and give more money away than, than, than anyone, but you will still spend eternity in hell if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so before you give any gifts to God, you need to first receive the gift of salvation that God offers you through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so they gave sequentially. Six, they gave sincerely, sincerely. Notice verse six, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. He was just commending them, saying, hey, listen, Corinthians, you excel in so many spiritual virtues. I want to appeal to you to excel in this one as well. In fact, the offering that you give would prove the sincerity of your love for God and others. When you think about that, how much we give does prove how much we love God. And again, it's not so much how much we give, but why we give. Why do you give? You feel obligated to give? You, you want to relieve guilt? You want to be thought highly of by others? Or do you just want to show God how much you love him? And again, when in, in, in regards to giving, it's not the amount that matters, it's the motive. Look at the story in Mark 12 of the widow's might. Remember, everybody was coming and they were bringing all these big chunks of chain, crashing down these big old bags of money. And then here comes this widow and she has these two little mites and she drops them in and Jesus sat back and watched and said, that woman gave way more than all these other people combined. And you're like, wait a minute, Jesus, haven't you been watching these guys are bringing the, 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 the money here and she's bringing these little money. It was all about her heart. She gave sacrificially and it was an act of worship. It wasn't to show off. And so they gave sincerely. We also need to give proportionately. Notice verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter for this is, your, is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this but also desire to do it. In other words, hey, you already said you were gonna do this. But now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but, the way of, but by way of equality at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. And it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. And the basic principle here is this. Give according to what you have. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, as you may prosper. In other words, God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. God simply expects his people to give back to him based on what he gives to them. If he gives you a little, you give a little. If he gives you a lot, you give a lot. You give proportionately. Lots of examples I wish I could use here, but let's just jump ahead for the sake of time down to 2 Corinthians 9. Basically what he's talking about at the end of chapter 8 is um, talking about the accountability that he's trying to set up. He has some unnamed guy who is well known to the Corinthians and this guy would provide credibility, accountability for, for he and Titus that they would deliver the money to Jerusalem safely and uh, basically, he was protecting himself from any possible accusations that he was mishandling the funds. Um, but notice what he says in chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gifts. 
so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So we need to give bountifully. Bountifully. Now, you know, there's a thing called the prosperity gospel out there. And lots of uh, preachers and televangelists, I mean, they milk this for all it's worth, saying, listen, you give and you will be rich. And that's the gospel. You give your money to me, you send your money to me, I send you this little handkerchief, this little bottle of oil, right? This little pin you put on your lapel and trust God, trust me, God is gonna bless you. Well, the Bible makes it crystal clear that if we give to God, he will bless us, okay? Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible are we told to give to get, okay? We're never told to give to get. But the Bible does say that God will bless us if we give. Now, it may not always be financial and material blessings. It may involve spiritual blessings. But, but the idea here, the, the sowing uh, analogy, if you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. Give bountifully. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. In other words, you can't outgive God. You, you, if, you know, there, there's a particular individual I was talking to recently, and they were just saying, I, I don't know why God keeps blessing me. I mean, it, God just keeps blessing. Everything I do, God just blesses. I'm like, I'll tell you why he blesses you, because he can trust you. Because it's just like passing through your life. It's passing through your wallet. It's passing through your checkbook back to the church, back to the Lord's work. You're a generous giver, and so he trusts you that he can, he can bless you bountifully. Why? Because he knows you give bountifully. You need to give purposefully. Look at verse 7 here. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. In other words, don't be impulsive in how you give. There are some Christians, I would imagine, who give little or no thought to what they're going to give on any given Sunday, and the first time they actually think about it is when they see the ushers coming down with the plates. They're like, uh-oh, game time, show time. i got to figure out what I'm going to do. I don't want to be embarrassed and let this thing pass without putting anything in it, right? And so they reach in there, and they got to make their decision. They're looking through what they got in their wallet or whatever, right? They're, 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 they're not thinking ahead. Paul, Paul is implying here that we should carefully and prayerfully consider ahead of time what God would have us give, that we should have some kind of predetermined plan of action. We should already know how much we're going to give before we come to church, and the only thing that might change that figure is, is you hear about a new need that, 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 that the church mentions, somebody mentions, and you sense God prompting you to meet that need through the resources he's entrusted to you. And at that point, you would give above and beyond your normal offering. You're saying, oh, well, I was going to give my check out. I'm going to give it over here. No, it's like above and beyond what you were already committed to give to support the work of the Lord. You say, well, how do I determine how much I should give? I mean, you kind of just ripped the 10% out from under me this morning. What do I do now? I'm kind of left like floating in the air when it comes to a percentage, well, again, even though God does not give us a fixed amount or percentage that we're required to give, he simply says to give freely and generously to the Lord in response to the grace he's, he's lavished on us. Well, I would recommend that if they were giving, like a, the baseline for giving in the Old Testament was 10%, that's a good starting point for what we should give. It's kind of like the training wheels. You know, you kind of start with, uh, you know, when you learn how to ride the bike, you got these training wheels, and 10% is a good place to start. But later on, you can take those suckers off, and next thing you know, you're giving 15%, and you're giving 20%, and you're giving above and beyond that. It is sad to me to, to, to hear statistics that say the average Christian the average American Christian gives between 2 and 3% of their income. It's pretty sad. To me, that's a lack of biblical instruction or a lack of biblical application. Not sure which one it is. So we're to give purposefully. Also, give cheerfully. Notice what he says here, verse 7. Each must do so just as these purposes are, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, 
you shouldn't do this regretfully, reluctantly. You should do it cheerfully. I mean, this is the word, the word cheerful there is the word, uh, the ing- word in the Greek where we get our English word hilarious. You should see some people with a smile on their face or cracking up when they're dropping, you know, their offering in the boxes. A lot of smiles going around these black boxes, a lot of laughing going on. The point is that you should give joyfully and enthusiastically. God loves a, what? A cheerful giver. And it's those people who give this way who discover that nothing brings greater joy than being able to meet the needs of of people and support God's work through their gifts. You need to give confidently. Notice verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Paul wanted the Corinthians to know that they could have the confidence to give generously, to give sacrificially. Why? Because God would provide for their every need. You never have to worry if you give to the Lord that you won't have enough to meet your own needs. God is always faithful to replenish whatever we give away and he will make sure we have everything that we need. Again, how much we give demonstrates how much we trust God to provide for our needs. Matthew 6, 33, what did Jesus say in the context of anxiety about what are we gonna eat, what are we gonna wear, where are we gonna live? He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. We give confidence. And then lastly, and most importantly, we need to give thankfully, or we could just say this, give worshipfully. Give worshipfully. Notice what he says here, and this is the whole point. This is the punchline. Don't miss this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, and through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by his ministry They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Again, we're back to where we started, that giving is an act of worship that honors and glorifies God. And Paul's like, oh, by the way, it's also a blatant act of obedience that proves that you're truly saved. The Jewish Christians in those days, they were skeptical of these Gentile converts, especially like the ones in Corinth where they had all sorts of problems. And so Paul was just saying, hey, this is a simple way to demonstrate to these Jewish believers in Jerusalem that, that, that you're the real deal, that your conversion is legit. But the main emphasis here is this, this idea of thanksgiving. Three times the word is used, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, or thanks. And so giving is, is one of the most tangible ways of expressing our gratitude to God for all he's given us in Christ. We do that when we sing. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're expressing our gratitude to God when we sing. What are we doing when we pray? Lord, thank you. We're expressing our gratitude. What do we do when we drop something in an offering box? We're expressing our gratitude to God. We're saying thank you for the sacrifice that you've made in giving your son to us so that we could be saved. That's the indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This gift that's beyond description. It leaves you speechless. It's, it's too wonderful for words. It's, again, it's, it's humanly impossible for anyone, no matter how eloquent or articulate they are, to fully describe God's gracious gift of salvation in Christ. But our profound gratitude for our salvation is is the ultimate motivation to give unsparingly back to God. There's one verse we skipped right over. It's really the heart and soul of this portion of God's word on giving. It's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, excuse me, verse 9. Look at this as we close. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become 
rich. So what is Paul doing as he ends this teaching on giving? His mind naturally goes to the supreme expression, demonstration of grace giving. God himself giving his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die in the place of sinners like us. God generously and joyfully and sacrificially gave up his own son on the cross so we could be saved. And so Jesus himself set the ultimate example of what it means to be a generous, joyous, sacrificial giver. He left the glories of heaven and came to dwell here on this impoverished planet so that we could be delivered from our sinful poverty and enjoy eternal riches in heaven someday. I mean, what could be more inspiring than that? to want to give back to the Lord. And that's the point. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When you consider the indescribable sacrifice that God made for us, no sacrifice is too great for us to make for him. George Mueller, who is probably one of the people we think of most when it comes to giving, what a great example George Mueller was throughout in, in church history of a man who had all these great visions of, uh, uh, and ideas and plans of ministry and didn't know how to fund them all and he would just get on his knees and he'd just pray and trust the Lord to take care of his orphanages and all these things and provide food for those orphans and but, he, but he's, what, what's not known about him is that he was also a very generous giver himself. Not only was, were people contributing to his ministry, he was contributing to theirs. He says this, quote, if we do not give, we shall find that our one brief life is gone before we're aware of it and that in return we have done little for that adorable one, adorable one who bought us with his precious blood and to whom belongs all that we have and all that we are. Let's pray. Father, there, there's a lot there for us. It's trying to drink out of a fire hose this morning. But Lord, I pray that you would use your word um, in the life of this church to stimulate and motivate those who have been faithfully giving over the years just to excel still more, to find even greater joy in their giving unto you and that you would just continue to pour your blessing upon them for their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that it would convict and motivate those who maybe have never developed the habit of giving, that they've never regularly brought an offering before you, a financial gift to you every Sunday to support your work, the local church, the one place that you promised to build, the, the main way that you're building your kingdom and advancing your work in this world through the church, or that they would see what a, an incredible privilege it is to lay up their treasure in heaven, to be about in investing in building your kingdom, seeing people come to know Christ and being equipped and growing in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, accomplish your work in our church and uh, that you would provide for your work through us so that you might get all the glory and the honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for sticking it out here quite a bit longer this morning, but I wanted to kind of package that all together and um, if you have any questions about how to practically implement that message in your life and in your giving, again, we have some very wise uh, deacons and elders who would love to sit down with you and, and kind of help you learn how to give biblically, and uh, we would love to help you learn how to do that if we can. And um, so anyway, let's just continue to pray. It's an opportunity for all of us to step up right now in the life of our church and to give like we've never given before to the glory of God. Amen? Well, you guys have a great Sunday. You're dismissed.
cracked and dry in the mud from the sty, still clinging to the prodigal son.